in a nutshell, you can buy links. That's not the problem. The problem is if you buy links for the purpose of manipulating Patreon. Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot, and this is the Earned Media Podcast. My guest today is Philly Visa. He is a former Google engineer and member of the search quality team. And we are here at the Affiliate Meat Market in Berlin, where I've just seen his keynote presentation, and I'm very fortunate to have him with you uh, for us as a guest today. Uh, Billy, welcome. Thank you very much. So, one of the things I think that is so confusing for a general business audience, when you look at something like Google Search Console, and you see all these errors and warnings, and you don't know what matters and what doesn't, how do you figure out what needs to be fixed and what is okay? Good question. So Google tried to simplify this already recently with a revamp of the Google Search Console by basically showing, uh, taking away the errors and the warnings, mostly. Um, and you primarily see now what's indexed, what's not indexed. And there's a lot of stuff there that is not that important. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that is important. Now, one of the reports, one of the warnings that shows up, for example, is 404s. That's are pages that don't exist anymore. And a lot of people think, oh, that is important. We need to look at it. Actually, yeah, you need to keep an eye on it. Just know what's happening, what Googlebot is crawling. But those pages have been correctly identified as 404. The one thing that you want to make, uh, want to check is, is anyone from our websites or organization still making backings to that or do we have any backings that are not updated internally to that because that is uh, the takeaway there now with all so, the, so just so i can yeah. reiterate you're saying it's okay to have a 404 as long as there are no internal backlinks leading to it yes because the moment that the content is gone you do not want to refer to it anymore by removing the referral to that, the reference to that particular 404 page, to that content that doesn't exist anymore, uh, it also gets deprioritized by Googlebot. So Google will crawl it less. Now they may still crawl it, actually they will crawl 404s repeatedly. Over time they may hit the same page that doesn't exist anymore for 10 years in a row, every month or once every year or whatever the ratio is, just to verify it's still gone. Yeah? But for fours and for tens, they don't waste, as Google has been quoted to say, they do not waste your crawl budget. So don't worry about the four fours, other than the potential opportunity to improve your website. Well, I think one of the things people are often concerned about is they're concerned they're going to orphan inbound links from external domains. So what do you do there? So you've got a page, you don't need it anymore, you want to 404 it, you want to get rid of it, but you're worried that there may be some inbound links to it and you don't want to lose the authority that those links may be passing to your domain. What do you do? So it's a very good point and a very good question because a lot of, I see a lot of different websites make this mistake and they redirect it to another page that does not have the same content. Uh, often it can be, if it's higher, call the website to the next level up or two levels up. Something like that is a category page from the product page to a category page or something along those lines. 
and this happens across industries. Like the, you see this with affiliate, you see this also with e-commerce, you see this uh, with other types of websites. It's across industries. And a lot of people are indeed worried about losing that backlink, losing the power of that backlink. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you do not know if those backlinks actually pass any power. Um, if they do pass traffic to your website, you have two decisions to be made uh, to make. One is, is that content that you have deleted, have removed from your website, worth putting back again? If there's so much traffic to it, should your brand be associated? Why don't you have that content on your website in the first place? If you're so worried about getting the backlinks that are associated with that type of content, why don't you have that content on your website anymore? So the first question you need to ask yourself, is this content that we should actually rewrite, improve, relaunch, all these things? And if you do that, you can say, well, now we can redirect to that. Yeah? If on the other hand, you say, well, you know, this was so off topic, and uh, I've heard examples where people uh, posted something uh, like a blog article that went viral, which was meant as a joke and was absolutely not related to the business, but got so many backlinks from a lot of sources because it went viral. So, but you remove the content because you actually don't want to have that content on your website. Well, then you kind of don't deserve those backlinks either. And it's hard to hear this sometimes, but it is. And if you still want to maximize the traffic that comes into this, so if people are still clicking on this and visiting that page, still return a 404. However, what you can do at this point is create a, a smart 404 or custom 404, which basically means you create a 404 page based on the page that doesn't exist anymore. You give them alternatives while still returning, uh, returning a 404 status code. So for Googlebot and other bots, this page and this content is gone. For users, they have an option to continue. You can still do lead capturing based on that. Now, we do, people do want to then have those backlinks for page rank purposes. Again, like I said, you don't actually know if they pass any page rank or if they have any weight. Uh, but you seriously need to ask yourself, do you want the content? If you don't want to be associated with the content, then why do you want to be associated with the backlinks that come with it? So in your uh, keynote, you talked about the difference between crawl budget and crawl priority. Yes. How do you tell Google, how do you send signals to Google of what your priorities are to be crawled? So a lot of people, and let me break this down for a second because obviously your audience was not in my presentation a moment ago. Um, a lot of uh, people talk about crawl budget. That's the, the number of URLs that crawl Google... budget. Yeah, the yeah. number of URLs that Google crawls off your website. Right. And uh, say if you have a million uh, pages on your website, uh, you want all those million pages being crawled, indexable, assuming um, that these are all indexable pages that you want to crawl, products, whatever. Um, but the thing is, Google will likely not crawl everything. Also, you will have redirects, you will have non-indexable URLs. So there's also a lot of pages that are being crawled that are not contributing to the SEO factor uh, signals and, and don't help your website from an SEO perspective and in the terms of the industry, waste your crawl budget. Yeah. Now, the thing is, it's all about uh, managing not that Google crawls every URL, because they will not crawl every URL all the time, especially with all the sites that have been around for long or larger websites, they will not crawl every single URL. At some point, Google will say, we have enough of, of this content. Uh, to, as an example, we, we know what this content quality is. 
and we know how the users interact with it. And at this point, we say like, okay, we have enough, we don't need more. And they deprioritize crawling the newer URLs that they haven't discovered yet. They will still crawl them, but at a much slower rate. Now, if we want to prioritize uh, that they, Google still does crawl those pages that we find important to get the right pages crawled and to waste as little resources as possible from the crawler uh, on pages that are not indexed well and do not help us with our rankings, uh, we need to basically prioritize the URLs that are important to us and we need to tell Google that. And we, the way to tell Google that is through internal linking, it's one of the most powerful ways Restaurants are a very good way, for example, to do this. Um, I know for I, I, I've had some websites that came to me like, well, we can't add breadcrumbs because they don't fit in our design. Well, no one said that breadcrumbs had to be on top of the page, so just put them at the bottom of the content and add the structured data. Just a simple example. Right? But have breadcrumbs because they are a great internal linking prospect, uh, uh, opportunity and add the structured data that goes with it. Another thing is external linking. Uh, if you have a, a part of your website that you feel is more important but is not called as much, try to see and go out and do some marketing that more people link to that. Yeah? And by having more external parties linking to it, Google picks up on that and says, oh, you know what, more people are talking about this, maybe I should call all of these. And they prioritize it. Sitemaps is another way of doing this as well. So these are all tools with which you can uh, tell Google what the priority is uh, of your website, of the content of the individual URLs of your website, and help Google decide which URLs call more frequently. So if you have a, a site with a thousand pages and a hundred are indexed and 900 aren't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't have to be, but in this case it depends on what, the, what is going on with the other 900. Um, if in Google Search Console these are marked as, uh, for example, uh, canonical to other or alternative canonical detected, then it could be a problem with canonicals or it could be uh, absolutely correct. So seeing as how I'm here with an ex-Google engineer, member of the search quality team, ex-member yeah. ex, 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 of, of the Google search quality yeah. team, let's see if you can explain something to me that I can never seem to wrap my head around. All right. Canonicals. Yes. What the hell are canonicals? Yeah, very good question. So, in the end, you need to see. Um, let's take a step back. When we have a piece of content, that piece of content should have a single URL pointing to it. Now, the web isn't the web if there weren't more URLs pointing to it. This can, for example, be if you have a blog post that your content team is pushing out, your blog team. And then you have your social media team, who's then promoting it on their social media channels. They didn't write the post, but now we have another URL, basically the one with, uh, uh, with tracking parameters for the social campaign, to, to monitor the success of the social campaign. We created now at least two different URLs, one for the original one on the blog, and then one for the social channel. Now, Assuming you don't do more the chat, uh, more campaigns, social campaigns, you might actually even end up with more if you do more campaigns, or if you have uh, slightly variations in timing or other things within your campaign uh, values. Every single change of the URL, be it a, a letter in, in uh, the, the protocol, be it the scheme being it a, a, a digit uh, in uh, the URL parameters, or even a slash added or removed. Every single change is basically a new URL. Now URLs are immutable. So the best way, the easiest way to think about URLs is 
They're like a row ID in a database. You insert the one, you enter the content once, you get a row ID assigned. That is your ID, that doesn't change anymore. The content might change, but the ID does not change. Now, if you refer to it from other places, you again refer to it with the ID in the database, in other tables. This is how you refer back. That's the URL. The URL is a unique identifier for that piece of content. And so it's one base URL for that piece of content. That's your canonical. So by declaring a canonical within the HTML source code for Googlebot among others, you're basically communicating to Google what your preferred ID identifier is for that particular piece of content. And that's what a canonical does. Correcting all the other ones and, and allowing Google to group all the other URLs that respond with, uh, for example, that have URL parameters, etc., to group that under this one ID. It's like, oh no, this is the same as. Can you give me a use case for how in the same site you might use a canonical to reference the original content? So when you're talking, for example, within the same site or to a third-party site? Because within the same site. Would you ever do that? So, I'm not entirely sure if I understand your question. So I've got a blog post yep. about a subject, mm -hmm. and then I have some other content about the same subject, but it's not as comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And I want, if people search about that topic, and Google's going to recommend a page on my site, I want them to go to the comprehensive page, not to the satellite page that just has a component of it. <laughs> Would, I, would that be a, a use case for Canonical? Yes, it absolutely can be. However, there is a danger there. If you do this a lot, uh, then the trend might be that Google doesn't trust your Canonicals. So if Google doesn't trust your Canonicals, which is like on a domain level, uh, and they hit a critical mass of where, they have, where the algorithm is going to have questions with your Canonical uh, references, they may just switch off the whole Canonical thing for your website the whole canonical trust signal. And at that point, uh, Google's gonna guess basically what they think the canonical should be and override any preference that you have indicated. Keep in mind that the canonical, as well as some of the other technical signals like hflang and structure date and other things, are suggestions to Google. They're not rules, they're not hard-coded rules. Google both can ignore them and does ignore them when they think they know it better and they being the algorithm. Sometimes when you're looking through all the different un, uh, domains that are not indexed on your website in Google Search Console, you see all these crazy URLs that'll say like a blog post and then page three, but there's no page three on the blog post, but it's paginated. Or there'll be all these RSS feed related URLs. How do you deal with that? I mean, do those need to be cleaned up? So you can have them, so there's a couple of different things to keep in mind. One is you can have as many URLs on your website as you want. That's up to you, you're the webmaster, you're the website owner. However, from a search uh, perspective, from an SEO perspective, you want to minimize how much Google uses that. And specifically the, the, the ones that are low quality or uh, basically are not great landing pages when it comes from organic search. So keep in mind, Every single page that we want to have ranking in organic search needs to be a landing page with a purpose, a unique sales proposition. We need to make sure that we get whatever conversion we want to get out of it. Could be signups, could be something else. I don't know. It depends on your business model in this case. But you know, sometimes branding or other things. 
but you every single landing page needs to have a unique sales proposition and then you have this RSS feed that really don't have for most people in the organic system. So in this scenario, what you can, or the paginated page is another example, every paginated page has to have its own unique sales proposition. And in the past Google had, uh, um, well, Take technical markup basically saying like, okay, this is a group of paginated pages and this is page one. Uh, and they could deprioritize the other ones and use it for discovery. Nowadays, they basically say, no, we, we dropped that. It was too, not useful for us. And then basically say now, every page has to stand on its own. So what you need to do is, yes, you do need to clean this up and uh, ask yourself, is this a good landing page? If a user lands on this paginated page, will they convert to something? Will it help my business? Will it help the user? If the answer is no, no indexing. Same goes for the RSS feed. You can still provide the functionality on your website for the user that is on your website, just it's not a great landing page from an SEO perspective. And if you're in doubt if something is a great landing page, ask yourself the following. If you run a PPC, a pay-per-click campaign, would you run that for that particular page? Would you run a PPC campaign for this paginated page or for this RSS feed? If the answer is yes, you probably get some type of conversion out of it. If the answer is no, it's probably not an important page and you can probably drop it in that page. Is there any reason to even have RSS anymore? Is RSS yeah, obsolete? Uh, yes and no. There are still some feed readers out there. Uh, and uh, it can absolutely be useful uh, for these different uh, uh, technologies, uh, products out there. And people do use it, but Googlebot actually uses it also. It's for them a discovery uh, channel for new content. They actually do read the RSS feeds. It's one of the reasons why they bought uh, FeedBurner at the time. Uh, to basically be on the front end of when new content comes out so they can crawl it as fast as possible and have it in the social world. So they still use it as semi sitemaps, so to say. So that's why they never sunsetted feed reader. Huh. Yeah, it, it's still yeah. is useful for them for discovery of content. So, uh, because otherwise they need to find a backlink to it or an internal link on the website, they need to come across it. Now it is with push, they get notified. It's like a sitemap basically, but the push thing. So as uh, the internet has matured, we found that um, this rule of don't buy links doesn't really work anymore because sometimes you can buy a useful link that's helpful and that Google will see is okay. So, so what is the rule for what is considered link manipulation in link building and what is considered okay? So what is it? it okay, in a nutshell, you can buy links. That's not the problem. The problem is if you buy links for the purpose of manipulating PageRank. So when you buy a link, Google expects you to attach a nofollow to this. It can be a nofollow uh, uh, or UDC or a no-sponsored or a combination of them. Uh, often enough, you want to make sure, by the way, the nofollow is in there because other search engines may not follow uh, the UDC or sponsored. So uh, in this case, nofollow, they will then recognize. So basically, you always have at least two in there. Or one, just no follow, because it's also not required to make a UDC or sponsor. That's optional. No follow is the part that they look for. Um, so, so if I, in my blog, yeah. am linking out to a third party, yeah. but I don't want to pass any authority to them, can I no follow that link? Yes. Does, is that spammy? No. 
that's, so, that's suspicious that, behavior in Google no, Sites. Absolutely not. You can, in principle, you can uh, no follow every outgoing link on your website. And there are websites that do that. Look at Wikipedia. Yeah? But uh, at the same time, Google rewards websites in the algorithm and with crawling, etc., that uh, give them, like Google algorithms specifically, whenever I say Google, I mean Google Bot or Google algorithms in this case, um, they reward websites that are not the, the dead end of the internet. Yeah, you, Google Bot wants to continue. They want to discover new content, and if you're the site that provides new content, that gives you a higher trust value in the eyes of Google. So, and if you don't follow it, they may say, well, you don't trust it, so why should we? So in this case, yeah, you probably don't want to know follow every single link going out. Uh, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> so you, you spoke a bit in your talk about disavowing uh, spammy links. Yes. How important is it, like if you have, let's say, you come onto a site that your client calls you and they say, oh, it's, my site's a mess, I've been buying links and I need to clean it up. And you look at it and 80% of their links are showing up as toxic in a tool like maybe SEMrush. How, and, and they have hundreds of links coming in in that 80%. How important is it that you look at every single link and check it? Super or can important. you just trust the tool and, and disavow them all? No, personally, um, although there's some great tools out there, and I must say uh, uh, they're doing great jobs in trying to mimic uh, the Google algorithm, um, in the end, you do need to look at it yourself. And uh, you do need to look at uh, a lot of different factors. And a lot of these factors are not always taken into account by these tools. Um, for example, you need to see what else, what other sites are these sites linking out from? What type of content is? Is it a known brand? In your industry, your niche, you probably know who's out there. And is this some, is this one of those sites or not? And yeah, you need to really evaluate every single link that you get separate. Now, you need to get as many backlinks as possible. <coughs> um, unfortunately, that does mean that uh, you do need to get everything. So you need to go to multiple different providers, including Google Search Console and including Bing Webmaster Tools, because they will give you this data for free. They will give you link samples of URLs that they have found. And you can sign up for free and get that data there. And if here's the key thing, don't just download it once. Download it once per week. Just download the data once per week, dedupe it and keep track of this over time. Make this just one of the tasks that one of your team members does. That every week they download a copy of the external backlinks, so you have this data. Because uh, Google gives you a sample, and Bing gives you a sample of the backlinks that they have. If you have more than uh, that sample provides, that means that you, you only get a sample the first time, but the second time you get some new links in there that you, that you hadn't seen before, that Google knows about. Yeah? Or Bing, for this, matter, for this case. And in both cases, uh, you want to grab those links and you want to know about those links. And next week, you can get a few more links that you didn't know about, that Google knows about and is counting against your backlink profile. So if you have done, if you have done uh, backlink uh, uh, buying, like backlink, ah, sorry, I'm falling over my tongue here. Backlink manipulation. Yes, if you've been buying links for the uh, link building aggressively over time, 
then for the purpose of ranking, for the purpose of ranking, then most definitely you should do uh, an audit of your backlink. Now you can do that yourself. You can hire third parties for it. I understand that it's a daunting task. Uh, because you really do need to look at every single backlink. Thousands of links. Billions. I frequently work with backlink profiles that are billions. Well, how it seems like there's no way you could manually look at millions of links and determine. Actually, which you ones. can. It takes a couple just, of days, but you just look at the URL though. You don't actually go to the page. Uh, no, you can. No, you can actually load the pages as well. Uh, of course, you can do some initial Not filtering. Millions. Actually, yes. Just the thought of it, I'm, I'm starting to melt. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so you would get a team? You can get a team, yes. But I, I can also tell you that uh, it, you can also do it yourself. There so are tools say... that allow you to improve your workflow, uh, that allow you to uh, uh, look at a thousand sites or a thousand URLs, uh, you know, for a few minutes. So after you've gone through all the different uh, uh, potentially spammy URLs, and you've audited them, and you've made the decision, hey, these ones really are spammy. I want to disavow them. Yes. And then you upload them using the disavow tool in Google Search yep. Console. How long does it take until they're actually disavowed? So the majority will be basically within 24, uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, applicable. But Google also will have to recall most of those links. If they're very low quality links, it may take a while to, uh, for the disavow file to have full effect, but the majority will be relatively fast. Now, I must say this, not every website doesn't uh, need to disavow. It's really, if you have done link building in the past, then you want to have a look at is uh, disavowing uh, something that you need to do and what your current status of your backlink problem. Now, keep in mind, a lot of people are also like, yeah, but okay, I don't do link building now anymore. I did it five years ago, but I don't do it today anymore. Uh, yeah, but those links from five years ago may still be active today. And therefore, they still weigh into those input signals that go into the algorithms that your site is still evaluated against. So this is something that you need to be aware of and potentially tackle. That having said, if you haven't done any link building, you probably have uh, accumulated some organic spammy backlinks. In which case, uh, you don't necessarily need to disavow those because they're well known by Google. And they, Google has probably taken care of that automatically. It, there's one other concept that uh, is maybe good to know and to highlight. Because a lot of people, um, yeah, don't, they're not really familiar with this. Uh, when we look at uh, Google Search Console, a lot of people say, yeah, well, it doesn't give me all the data I want. They do give a lot of data. Sure, it can always be better, but they do give a lot of data. The Google Search Console and also a lot of the advice that Google is giving out regarding backlinking and all that kind of stuff, it's very generic often. You get very generic answers. Or, yeah, answers like, yeah, we will take care of those uh, spammy backlinks that if you don't do back link building, we'll take care of it. The reason why they use this messaging and why they do it the way they do is basically because the majority of the users of the webmasters that Google needs to care about never sign up for Google Search Console. They're not SEOs. Those are the pop and mom, uh, the mom and pop shops that have a, a website, don't do any SEO. They just have a website for their local neighborhood and those are the average uh, webmaster. And there are a lot of them. There are way more of those webmasters out there and only a very small portion of digital marketers and SEOs. We scream the loudest, we get the most attention, 
but most of the policies, most of the tools, they're made for the other group. So whenever we're complaining about something in this industry or like, okay, the answer isn't specific enough, well, it depends obviously, because if you are an SEO, you probably have done some link building and you possibly have done some bad link building. And yes, you need to disavow. But hey, you know what? This vow tool, almost no one needs to use that. That's also one of Google's methods. And that is true because statistically, it's only a very small portion of people, webmasters, website owners that have done link building versus the ones that have not done link building. But I've never done a link building where I've bought uh, links before, but a lot of the sites that I manage wind up getting some spammy links anyways. Yes, and that's normal. Uh, if, so there's. You have done link building. You may not just call it link building. I've never paid for it. Okay, see, that's a different uh, distinction yeah. already. Because you may have run some social campaigns. You may have uh, run some ads. I mean, you may I'll have run great content that I think is link worthy. Yes, and then, and, they, and then you promote it. Yeah. And even if you promote it with money, say you do an ad or something like that, you're actually buying links. The thing is, it's advertising links. These links are normally discounted by the algorithm because they go to known networks, so Google can just discount them as like, okay, don't pass page rank. And, you know, also social networks and stuff like that. And basically say, okay, don't count this. But you're still doing link building. You may not call it link building. You know, we're, we're here at the affiliate meat market in Berlin. And uh, these are all people who are buying and selling traffic yes. and passing traffic with a trackable link. And sometimes when I insert a tracking link into a blog post or into organic content, um, I do worry. I wonder, oh my God, this this link looks a little funny and it says add link on it or some weird parameters on the end. And I wonder, is this going to be a negative signal that I'm linking out with this trackable link? Are trackable links bad? Um, yes and no again. Uh, if that's the only type of links that you have sending out, that can most definitely have an impact. Uh, because then the question is, are you the source content? Uh, are you the source of the content or is the part where you're linking to and should we rank that higher instead of you? So if it's one or two links, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. Like Got if it's it. a few, it's not a big deal. But if that's all your links, then of course Google's going to ask, okay, where are you linking to instead of higher quality? Why are we not ranking that higher instead of you? Because you're even linking to that primarily and almost all your links. So you like you need to find out what your unique sales proposition is, what you're adding to the conversation and benefits for the user to then say, oh, we're still worth ranking because we offer this. And comparison websites is an example where uh, that would be a bene uh, like an added feature. So, uh, you know, Google released the page quality guidelines uh, on the internet and everyone has read it and we printed it out and we, uh, we've debated every part of it. And you were actually part of the team that was working uh, with that to try to determine, I guess, computationally page quality, which seems like a very daunting task, you know? But when I look through what's ranking online, one thing that always screams out at me is I see all these uh, low quality WordPress sites where they have, you know, a, a standard theme, they haven't even altered it, and they're posting all these garbage blog posts that they're obviously getting paid for, and it says by admin. There's not even a byline in there with the person's name, and you think to yourself, my gosh, it would be so easy to use that as a way to uh, figure out quality, 
But I still see these freaking WordPress sites that are terrible by admin ranking high. So why is that? Uh, there can be a number of different reasons, niche being one of them. Uh, if you're looking in a particular niche, like for example, gambling affiliate, casino, uh, crypto, stuff like that, it has a lower priority within Google. It's not that many people looking for it, as simple as that. Uh, they look, like, they're more focused on what drives the majority of their traffic and think of like travel, uh, you know, hotel searches or other things. And so from that perspective, niche can make a difference there. Uh, also country, like if we're look, to, uh, talking about uh, geo geographic, uh, then just may not be other content in that market, in that language. So these blogs can suddenly rank high, and I agree with you. Uh, like bylines like admin and stuff like that is a screaming signal to Google, like quality is low in this case. But if there is no other content that says it, that has it, there or very little, then yeah, they may rank. So it really depends what on I what else thought, is available. What I had thought, and I guess I was wrong, is you know we're coming into the age of artificial intelligence. It's getting better and better. Sooner or later, for some topics like maybe weather reports or uh, reports about uh, sports games or reports about stock prices, where there's a high quality statistics to and good data to pull from, you would think that sooner or later, uh, AI is going to replace humans for that type of news and information. And I thought, well, maybe the reason that they're not looking at the byline is because someday there's going to be no byline. Uh, well, from a content creation point of view, that is happening already. <laughs> like, there's so many ad bots that claim to be, uh, or so many content bots that claim to be AI-driven, and you start the first couple of sentences and the rest gets filled out by the AI. Uh, if it's always good is another question. Uh, right now, Google is trying to jump on that. That's where Mom and Bird and other updates like that are basically focused on. Also, a lot of the recent updates like helpful content updates and stuff like that in the back end, they are focusing on, on detecting more improved quality uh, of the content. Um, but they're not perfect. It's the reason why they keep on pushing updates. Why? Because it's still not done. It's something you that said there's something like over 4,000 updates a year, and we only yeah, know about uh, one or two. So in last year, they did over 4,300 plus updates last year, which comes down to an average of, of about 12, 12 a day. So 12 updates a day, and that they're launching. So these are launches. They tested way more. But these are just the launches that they pushed out. Only a fraction of that, maybe 20 or 30 or so, hit the blogosphere of like, hey, we see uh, movement or stuff like that, or here's an update, or Google confirmed only a handful of those says, oh, we are uh, pushing out a new, new big update, and uh, like core update or stuff like that. And the majority actually does not get announced at all. So, yeah. You should also not have to worry the whole day about, okay, which update's gonna come out today or tomorrow or the day after. You, what you really need to do is focus on um, getting your input correct. So what you're sending into the algorithms, really needs, you need to avoid sending conflicting signals in. You need to send in high quality, keep trying to improve that based on user signals, as well as uh, technical SEO signals, that you don't send any conflicting signals in. Make it as clear as possible. Uh, make sure that the internal linking ma matches your canonicals and your sitemap, for example. I see very often that the canonical is not in the sitemap. The sitemap has a number of URLs uh, which uh, may be slightly different or maybe redirecting some of them. And uh, the internal linking has tracking parameters. 
So now we have three different types of URLs for the same piece of content. And that's a conflicting signal. And then on top of that, you could do also things wrong with structured data. For example, you have a product page and then you have uh, uh, the main product on, on the product page and you have a couple of other recommended products and you put the product schema on all of them. So which one is it? Yeah, so Google gets say five or six product schemas on one page. One for the main one, six for the, uh, five for the other ones, so six in total. Google doesn't know which one to take at that point. You're sending conflicting signals in. So th these are the type of things you want to make sure all align. That, that the overall message, what you're sending into the Google algorithms, aligns. By aligning and tweaking that over time, you'll see the output, which is uh, uh, the rankings, you'll see that change. But we're responsible for that input. So. You know, um, obviously Shopify has taken off and uh, they're hosting so many sites now yet their blog product really is not ready for prime time. And so many uh, digital marketers will integrate a WordPress site, uh, match the look and feel of the site um, on the WordPress, link back and forth and put it at a subdomain. Uh, is that a problem? Does it need to be at a subdirectory? No. Uh, really for Google it doesn't matter if it's a subdomain or a subdirectory. Uh, you can do either. That's not a problem. As long as it's the same domain. So the fact that the servers are at different IPs doesn't matter either? No, but make sure that they're both fast. And make sure that your blog is not slower than yours. And, and you were talking about that. You were saying um, you, you gave some uh, recommendations for just how fast it needs to be. Yeah, so um, one of the tips that I would say is um, if you want to look at how fast Googlebot crawls your website, because if your website is slow for Googlebot, uh, not only may they crawl you less, so the crawl priority goes down, the number of URLs that Google will crawl of your website goes down, they may actually rank you lower. Because if your competitor is faster, then Google may say like, well, when a user searches for something and you, you and your competitor show in the search results, well, your competitor is faster, so the user is likely going to find that one uh, more attractive. If everything else is equal on the other signals, but it never is, but just for the hypothetical case, you will rank lower because you're slower. So it can most definitely impact the ranking. Also, if your connection is very unstable, your server connection, if you have often network or server issues, 500 errors, that kind of stuff, it tells Google, oh, you can't handle the load. Yeah, we want to send you a few thousand people to our search results, but you know what, you can't handle the load, so we'll just send you a hundred. Yeah, because we know you can handle that. And the thing is that you want to be fast. Now, within Google Search Console, under the settings, scroll uh, stats, you'll, you can find what the averages are uh, for how many URLs Google has called in the last 90 days or how fast your server responded for the initial first byte. Look at that first byte one. It's not the only one, obviously, to look at, uh, but it's one of the signals one to look at. And there's so many websites where I see that that first byte average uh, over time, assuming it is stable, because if it isn't, that's something that you want to look at as well. But if it is stable and it averages like, say, 300 to 500 to even 800 milliseconds, that is way too slow, way too slow. You really want to aim under 100, and if you can do it, under 50 on an average. And it is absolutely possible. It's just about optimizing for page speed. And, and can you give us some tips on, on how to improve core web vitals? Uh, yeah, uh, in the end, which one? Because <laughs> there's so many. So uh, if you want to look at, for example, a cumulative layout shift, 
uh, I have a tool for that on webvitals.dev. Uh, yeah, human awareness. The, the funny thing is, uh, Google's such a hypocrite because on the one hand, they say, you know, we can't have any cumulative layer shift. And then I go into a, a Gmail and there's cumulative layer shift. And I click the I open the wrong email. It happens all the time. Oh, absolutely. And they're not the only ones, by the way, because there's a couple of newspaper sites and stuff like that where I keep on jumping all the time. It's so annoying. Um, and the thing is, yes, in a way, yes, hypocritical on the front of uh, uh, they have it themselves, which is also one of the metrics that they need to improve. Keep in mind that your personal email is not something they're trying to index and rank. So from a user perspective, users except for you will never see that. Not that email at least. So uh, yeah, you need to keep that in mind that uh, when we're talking about pages that uh, are accessible to Googlebot and that can potentially rank. Those are the ones that we most definitely want to optimize. Now, on an origin basis, these signals can still be collected also for pages that are not ranking. So if you have very poor origin signals with very good one-on-one uh, -on -one signals, this might be where the mismatch is. You may have a number of uh, pages in the backend that Googlebot is not visiting, say after a login, which are very slow, and Google users are report Chrome users are reporting those as slow. Yeah, and that can So just so I understand, when you say origin, you mean the original the the original domain plus the schema, and it's not plus domain; the it's the host name. And then what? It's the host name, not the domain name. So if you have, for example, https www.example.com, and you have, for example, https example.com. And you have HTTPS uh, uh, subdomain one.example.com. Those are three different origins. So it's a different host name, all on the same schema. The top level domain is different. No, the, the, the host name is different. One has a www, the other one is a naked, and the other one has a subdomain one. And they're three different uh, host names because of that. It's from the first double slash to the next slash. That content is different. That's the first part, or the second part of the origin. The first part of the origin is the protocol, the scheme. So HTTP example.com and HTTPS example.com are also two different origins. Origins are used by browsers primarily to uh, work with cookies and JavaScript cross uh, communication and stuff like that. Like, uh, is the script allowed to be executed and stuff like that? And this is where the origin uh, mostly comes from. So, um I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Just before we wrap it up, any sort of high-level recommendations you have for uh, non-technical business owners or looking to improve site speed, site performance? Well, basically, uh, audit your website regularly because as simple as this, if you don't know what you're sending in, you can never improve it, you can never change it. And Google algorithms, like we, we as webmasters, and SEOs and uh, managers and cetera, we don't control those algorithms. And we're not, we're not gonna. It's as simple as that. Google keeps tweaking them, that's also normal. What we, on the other hand, do have control over is what goes into those algorithms, at least to a large extent. So optimizing your website for page speed and other things, uh, you know, avoiding uh, conflicting signals, etc. These are the things that uh, you do need to do and the best way to find out if you need to do that or what you need to do is by auditing your website. And make that part of your annual cycle. Just as you uh, get your car checked once a year, you know, 
unlike the road rules, uh, SEO and online marketing actually changes quite a lot. So uh, you want to make sure that your website is still uh, up to par. And then you mentioned in your talk some resources that you have to help people do that, right, on your website? Uh, we, yeah, we have a couple of tools, a couple of APIs that can be used for different functionalities, but most of the time uh, we provide audits for our clients. And uh, some of the websites, for example, is webvitals.dev. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the other one is, for example, urlparse.com that allows you to figure out like what are the differences in URLs. It's an API for that, uh, stuff like that. Or, for example, seoapi.com, which is basically uh, different bots that allows you to verify if a bot, uh, if an IP address is actually from a known bot or not. Uh, also, this includes historical data as well as a number of other bots, search bots uh, out there that uh, yeah, may not be as popular, but they're still there. And so, so for those of our listeners who need help and want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Searchbrothers.com or Philly.com or SEO.services. You can find us everywhere. And you said you put up the slides from your presentation as well, right? Uh, yeah, so if, if people want to... Um, uh, get a copy of the slide deck, then they uh, should contact me to feelie.com or searchbox.com and I'll send them a copy of the slide. However, I will note that as slides should be, they are supportive of the story that I held on, on stage. So, if you feel, I'm happy to send them to you, but if you feel you want to know more, it's probably better to get in contact and uh, we can discuss more details. Excellent. Philly, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Influence through Earn Media, get the Digital Pivot audiobook at digitalpivotbook.com.